You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For, for, all, things, for, for all things KC, for everything Chiefs, it's always, it's always game day in Kansas City. Now, here's your host, Kayla Kinnearum and Cody Tapp. Kansas City. I am your host, Kayla Canaram. Joining me is my co-host slash producer, Nick Schwert. And then there were two. Wow. We, wow. We took a few days off, obviously. Super Bowl was pretty big. So we're back. We're ready to go. It's the off season. Nick, yeah, just the two of us. Are we getting a co-host? Do we know? We don't know. TBD, you know, we're a man down right now, but that's okay. <laughs> The workload gets a little lighter in the off season, but it's so weird that the off season ends. You've got the combine coming up next week. The draft is in like two months, Kayla, and it's in Kansas city. Let's go. So Nobody's attention will ever be removed from this city until somebody else wins the super bowl. Everything runs through KC right now. I love it. But I was trying to think of the song. What song? Something about Kansas City. Uh oh, the song they play at I'm going to Kansas City. Kansas yeah. City, here I come. Okay. Yeah, how have they not written a new song about Kansas City in the last, you know, 50 years? Tech we Nine kind of has. That's true. Red Kingdom. So I guess I stand corrected. <laughs> and they play it at every Chiefs game, including the victory parade. So he needs to come up with another one. We're kind of wearing that one out a bit. We need more than two songs. Like, I need a Kansas City playlist. It needs to have more than two tracks in the rotation. I agree. I just heard your doorbell ring. <laughs> My doorbell literally never, ever, ever, ever rings. Do you need to go get it? No, we're good. It could be That's something really important. Funny. I don't know. It, it can wait. <laughs> All right. And with that, we are off with a bang. Let's go. Um, well, yes, Nick, as we have established, the offseason is officially here. So what should be priority number one for Brett Veach? I think there's a lot of different ways you could go with this, but I, I feel like the the number one priority has to be the same priority that it was last year, which is continuing to reinforce the positions of value. That is pass rusher. That is pass catcher. It seems like it's a little redundant because that's exactly what we were saying last year. Now, at this time last year, the Chiefs hadn't traded Tyreek Hill yet, but once they did, it was, it was abundantly clear what they were going to do. And even, you know, before that, they had already signed Juju Smith-Schuster and MVS. Isn't that kind of crazy to think about? I'm going to get off topic here for a second, but... Go for it. When they signed Juju, we thought it was to compliment Tyreek Hill. We did not think they were signing Juju to be the number one. This offense True. that was... The Chiefs just, just had the number one offense in the NFL. They won the Super Bowl against the league's number one defense... And they did it with an offense that like wasn't the offense that they had planned on having. This was not some sort of grand design of let's get rid of Tyreek and we're going to do this death by a thousand paper cuts. No, they wanted to have Tyreek and they wanted to have Juju and MVS. It just so happened they lost Tyreek and guess what? It didn't matter. They were better than they've ever been. So that's interesting. But I still think that is going to be a position of need. You don't know what's going to happen with Juju. I think they do want to resign him but it's all going to come down to the dollar amount. Does he think he can get more elsewhere? Does he think he can go and get a Christian Kirk deal 
like he got from the Jaguars making $20 million annually. If he does, I think that's a little bit too rich for the Chiefs' blood. I still, I still think they're going to go out and try and attract talent, whether that is by means of free agency, whether that is via a trade, or once again using one of their you know, top two picks to get a wide receiver. They're not just going to stop trying to get talent just because they felt like they bucked the trend this year. That seems to be a popular opinion. Like when I hear people talking about wide receivers, they're kind of like, well, now that they won one without Tyreek Hill, they're never going to go after an expensive pass catcher again. I don't think that's how Brett Veach operates. I don't think somebody who's as good at what he does op- like lives in a world of absolutes where he says, I'm never doing that again. I'm only doing it this way. I think they're going to sort of navigate the market. Same with pass rusher. You went out and you drafted George Karloftis in the first round. You restructured Frank Clark's deal. We don't know if Frank Clark is going to be back next year. And we don't know what George Karloftis is going to look like in year two. I thought he had a really solid season, but he was able to sort of get slowly mixed in. There's going to be more pressure on him next year. There's going to be a heavier workload on his plate. You don't go into next season banking on George Karloftis being a stud. You need bodies. You need to have a rotation, which is why the same two positions that I think were the biggest concern last year are still going to be the biggest emphasis going into this offseason. As far as the offense, what weapons that we had this year do you see on the team next year? How many do you think will be down? Okay, so the ones we know are Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore. Right? That are going to be back? Yeah, well, in MVS, I, okay. I've, heard, I've heard some people throwing out the idea that maybe you try and uh, cut bait on MVS. I think MVS is here for at least one more year. I would hope and so. It, well, it's a, it's a numbers game too. Like even if you don't like a certain guy or you don't think he's as good as you thought he was going to be, you need a stable of receivers. You can't just start over fresh every year. You can't just go into next year with two or three guys. Like you want some continuity there. So. I think those three are certainties. McColl is interesting. He just had surgery on Tuesday. He was injured at the tail end of the season, tried to give it a go in the AFC championship game, ended up, you know, being for not as, you know, kudos to him for trying to make it work. But now he goes into the off season on pace. He was on pace to have a career year. I think the only way McColl is back in Kansas city is if, he feels like he needs to do like a one-year prove-it deal just to go and get that big contract. It's kind of like it's kind of like what Juju did his last year in Pittsburgh. Remember, because the Chiefs went after mm-hmm. Juju, he decided that he wasn't getting the offers that he wanted, so he went back to Pittsburgh on a one-year deal just so he could then go and take an offer elsewhere. Wouldn't shock me to see McColl do something like that. Do we? We still don't know what is wrong with him, right? What did he get? What do you have surgery on? Abdomen issue. Wasn't that the official? This is the weirdest thing. It is the weirdest thing, but it's the Chiefs, man. They just don't reveal more than they need to. And McColl, I mean, at any point in time, McColl could have came out and said something to someone. But he doesn't. Why would he want to? He's going to be a free agent. He doesn't want there to be scuttlebutt about what is injured and how injured he's going to be. And you know how close to 100 <laughs> are you laughing at scuttlebutt 
Don't they say that in Little Mermaid? Isn't it just a great word? I mean, let's be frank. Isn't that a great word? I don't think I've heard that since I was 10 watching Little Mermaid. Well, you know what? I think you should try to start the conversation a little more often. (laughs) It's a great attention grabber. Noted. Where does um, a Chris Jones extension fall on the list of priorities? I'm guessing that's number one for you, is it not? It is, yes. It's up there. Well, I think the reason why I didn't put it number one is because I'm so certain it's going to happen. I just don't know what it's like. I would be pretty surprised. Now, I probably would have said the same thing about Tyreek Hill last year. But Chris Jones, I think, is more important to the Chiefs defense than Tyreek Hill was to the Chiefs offense. You remove Tyreek Hill, you still have Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL, and Travis Kelsey, who is a top 10 player in his own right. You remove Chris Jones from that defense, I do not know how you get back to a level of respectability because let's be honest, Kayla, this was not a... The Chiefs were not an elite defense in 2023, 2022. That was a middle-of-the-pack defense that got to being that good simply by Chris Jones willing them there. Mm-hmm. So if, if that's how important that Chris Jones is to your defense... And you know that he's a leader, right? He's a captain of that defense. I don't know how you could possibly convince yourself that he's somebody you can part ways with. Fully agree. Sorry, that ping text message. We're all full of distractions today. Uh, was Cody actually <laughs> telling me he mailed me the confetti from the Super Bowl? Tell like Cody. He knows. Will you tell Cody that if he wants to be on the podcast, <laughs> he needs to just be on the podcast. <laughs> Stop disrupting our recording times. <laughs> Texted right in the middle. That's so funny. This guy. He can't get <laughs> enough of us. <laughs> okay. Let's talk Eric Bieniemy. He is officially the new offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. So this obviously opens up the door for Matt Nagy to return to his role as the Chiefs offensive coordinator. Nick, what will happen first? Will Eric Bieniemy get a head coaching opportunity or will it be Nagy getting another shot as a head coach? Also, I think we say Nagy differently. Is it Nagy or Nagy? I say Nagy. You say Nagy. I'm just going to call him Matt. I'm just going <laughs> to call him Matt. I don't want to say wrong. Coach Matt. Oh, you know how like when you're a youth, like a youth soccer team, they call the coaches by their first name. Coach Greg. I'm just going to call him Coach Matt. <laughs> Man, I don't want to answer this question because I don't feel like it's the right answer. I don't feel like it's the... It's the um, Feel good answer, I should say. But I think the answer is Matt Nagy. And I and I think NFL teams are going to have a really hard time explaining that if that is the case. We do see this a lot. Reclamation projects. Um, Todd Bowles is a perfect example of it in Tampa Bay. Todd Bowles cut his teeth as a defensive coordinator, was one of the best in the NFL, got a head coaching job with the Jets. It went very poorly much more poorly than Matt Nagy's did. And then he goes back to being a defensive coordinator. Once again, what do you know? This guy's really good at calling defensive plays. And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets the shot to be the head coach in Tampa. So it's not, it's not unlikely that Nagy gets another shot. And he is now in the exact same position he was in in 2017 that propelled him to being an offensive coordinator. But how do you, how, how, how does Matt Nagy become a head coach when he is replacing a guy 
who spent five years as an OC and had to go to a different, lesser, worse situation just to hopefully give himself a better chance at being a head coach. I'm not saying it's the right answer. I'm saying that it, it doesn't, at this point, I just don't know if Eric Bieniemy is ever going to get that shot. And I can't tell you why. I can't tell you why he's not getting that chance. It It's mind boggling. Um, and it bums me out that he has to, to make this lateral move in order and hopes of eventually becoming a head coach. When has that ever been the case? When have you ever seen a case of somebody having that level of success and yet the league effectively telling you, you need to go do it in a horrible situation for us to think that, that you're capable of being a head coach. Do we think it's because he's under Andy Reid and he's not calling plays? That would explain it one time, two times, three times, four times, right? If it's an, if it's one hiring cycle and he doesn't get hired, you would say, okay, maybe they're scared off. But it's been four hiring, four, four five hiring cycles where he has had success got interviews, didn't get hired. So it happens one time and you say, okay, maybe it's because he's coaching under Andrew Reed. It happens a second time. It's okay. Maybe he's a bad interview. If he's a bad interview, then why do other teams, like th these owners talk to each other. These GMs talk to each other, Kayla. So if he was a terrible interview, don't you think word would get around and then they would just stop calling him? Like teams would stop interviewing him because word has gotten around. He's interviewed 15 different teams. He's interviewed with the Jets twice. So 16 interviews with 15 different, like why would the Jets interview him a second time if they already interviewed him the first time and they knew it was a bad interview? I think they just brought him in again. So I, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. And, and nobody has articulated an answer. That's the craziest thing. You know, all these reporters are plugged in. Right, right, the Peter Kings, the Albert Breers, Mike Florio, Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport. You can go on and on. All these guys are plugged in. Every single story gets broken, Kayla. Every single story gets broken before it's official. How have none of these guys broke the story on whatever is causing Eric Bieniemy to not get these head coaching offers? It is, it is truly a one-of-a-kind situation in the NFL. It's bizarre. And also, why does an interview matter when you're running the best offense in the NFL? <laughs> it turns out uh, the job is not interviewing people. Like, the <laughs> to be a head coach, like, think about the, how many of these great – do you think Bill Belichick is a great interview? Do you think he sits down <laughs> and just blows you away with his <laughs> – like, like, no. Have I told you about the time he turned me down for an interview? Bill Belichick? Yeah. Let's hear it. Um, I was working for the Premier Lacrosse League. It was our very first weekend um, at Foxborough. He's a huge lacrosse guy, friends with the the founders. Um, and he was on the sidelines, and I was the the in game host for the entire first season. And so I had my camera people, producer. They're like, "Okay, let's go get an interview with Bill." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, let's do that." <laughs> so I just like naive me. They just threw me to the wolves, honestly. I just walked up. I was like, hey, Bill, uh, can we get an interview? And he goes, no, I'm good. And I go, okay, thanks. And, and he just walked away with my tail between my legs. And they're like, oh, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't do interviews. And I'm like, well, then why did you just ask me to do one? They're like, we just thought maybe he would say yes. And they knew you were young and eager and you yep. weren't going to say no. Yep. 
Did he smile at you at least? Was he friendly? Um, maybe. I don't even remember. I was mortified. <laughs> I was like, cool. Uh, Thanks for that. They threw you right into the lion's den. Yep. You know, what's so interesting about the Bill Belichick comparison is now you've got Nagy who comes back. You know, he's got spent all this time under Andy Reid. Has a great relationship with Andy. He said when he you know, got let go by the Bears and took the the quarterback's coaching position with the Chiefs, he said he did it because of his relationship with Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and Patrick Mahomes. Those are the three people he named. Great relationships with all three of those guys. Wanted to work with them again. He now comes back in a similar situation to what Josh McDaniels did with the Patriots, right? Left, took the Broncos job, failed miserably. Bill said, come on back, man. You know the players, you know the personnel, you know the scheme, you know the system, you know everybody in the building. That that profession, like many professions, is built on relationships. Now that Matt Nagy comes back, if he has success, I would imagine a year from now, two years from now, he's going to get those those calls to interview for a head coaching position again, much like Josh McDaniels got a lot of interviews and turned a lot of them down. Would you be comfortable with Matt Nagy being the coach in waiting under Andy Reid? Would you be comfortable with him being like the successor, if you will, for whenever that day comes when Andy decides to hang him up? I don't even like talking about this day because it makes me emotional, but <laughs> well, okay, yeah. that's what I was going to ask. Do we think it's, gonna be Matt Nagy or in a weird turn of events could it be the enemy who gets his first head coaching job to replace Andy Reid wouldn't, wouldn't that be strange let's imagine okay three years from now let's do two years from now because I think the enemy now he's now he's in such a bad situation in Washington like he's got like a two-year window to get a head coaching gig mm -hmm. otherwise I think those opportunities are going to dry up so let's say uh, Andy Reid's 63 64? 64. So let's say two years from now, the Chiefs win two more Super Bowls, and he's like, I got four titles. I'm widely respected as a top three coach ever. Hanging him up. I got nothing left to prove. The Chiefs have to call Eric Bieniemy, right? <laughs> like you can't, you, think. you can't go to bat for this guy year after year and have much success for him and not consider him. But also the thing with the Chiefs is you get to call whoever you want. You're yeah. the Chiefs. You are one of the premier brands in the NFL. If your head coaching vacancy opens up and Patrick Mahomes is sitting there at quarterback, anybody who's anyone would want the opportunity to come and play with him or to coach for him. 1000%. Um, we're going to move on, but before we do, speaking of Nagy, did we see him at the parade just getting after it? Oh my gosh. I thought he was a player there for a while. Like he was dancing. He was hammering beers. That guy had a great time. He is I feel very like that was a release for the last few years of just going to Chicago and it completely bombing to then coming back and winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm sure it's sort of humbling to have to take. I mean, you didn't go from a head coach to an OC. You went from being a head coach to a quarterback's coach. That's going to be pretty humbling. So I'm sure it was very gratifying for him to immediately have success and all of a sudden be like, you know what? I'm like, my hair is turning gray trying to get the bears to the playoffs every year. And now I just get to come back and boom, immediately winning a super bowl and going to a championship parade. He, he was loving life. He I was living that. someone who was not living at the parade. Clyde Edwards, Alaire, Nick skipped yeah. the parade to walk in a fashion show in New York. 
Was what he, the heck? I don't even know if Clyde was at the Super Bowl. I know he wasn't on the active roster, but I'm not sure if he was even at the game. But you, dude, you get a ring. Like you, you, you played a, part of the season. Like you get a Super Bowl ring, and you're not going to show up to the championship parade, which I would assume is because you are sour about not being on the active roster. Like, talk about being humbled. You you were given three years to lock down, and every, Kayla, Clyde was given every opportunity to be the guy in that backfield. Every opportunity. I mean, his rookie yeah. year didn't go according to plan. What yeah. happened? He comes back in year two as the number one running back. Year two didn't go according to plan. What happened this season? He enters the season as the number one running back. Got injured, which happens all the time in this league. And guys mm -hmm. lose their job because of injuries all the time. He was going to lose his job anyway because his play just wasn't good enough. And he'll get a contract somewhere. Life as a running back in the NFL is fickle, but he got a first-round deal, which is better than most guys in his positions get. And it's honestly better than he deserved. And for him to not show up to the championship parade, like, I mean, we, we know one thing. We can talk about off-season priorities. We can talk about who's coming back, who's not. I feel pretty certain that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is not going to be playing in Kansas City next year. I would second that notion. Um, just what a bad look, though. Like, that's it not... Is, yeah. You were part of a team. You still contributed to this team. And just to not show up, like, not cool. Why would you not want to be there? I don't understand that. You got to humble yourself a little bit. Like, it's a championship. Everybody contributed, even you. Who was it that said, I didn't do anything to get them here? I just rode. Melvin Gordon. Yes, that quote was I love so that. good. I love that. He straight up said it. Hey, I didn't do anything. Self-awareness is key. Going. But mm -hmm. he still thrived and enjoyed that, <laughs> as you should. Um, okay, well, as we know, Tuesday was franchise tag day in the NFL. First day that teams can officially place the franchise tag on players. It's been long assumed the Chiefs will tag Orlando Brown Jr. Is that the right move? And what will they do with OBJ after that? Yeah, it's the right move because there's Our not OBJ. A, there's not a better candidate. You always got to specify. <laughs> Everybody assumes you're talking about Odell Beckham Jr. Um, yeah, it's the right move because there's not a better candidate. You you have to franchise tag Orlando Brown Jr. because the only other real option would be. Juju Smith-Schuster and you don't need him the way that you need Orlando Brown. I think it's mostly because of positional value. Mm -hmm. Chiefs, if, if, they, if they can't have Juju next year, they're going to be okay because there's other receivers you can get out there. There's only a finite number of, of left tackles. And while I don't think Orlando Brown is worthy of the deal that he wants, I'd rather have him on the franchise tag than not have him at all. If that means that you have to let Juju go. If the inverse is that you tag Juju and let Orlando Brown Jr. Like that walk, that's a non-negotiable. You can't let him walk. You either franchise tag him and extend him, which I think is the most popular opinion, or you franchise tag him and you trade him, which is what I think the Chiefs should do. And that's not a, pop a popular take because I think for the longest time, ever since the Chiefs traded for him two years ago, the idea has been that 
Well, you gave up a first-round pick, and this guy's 26 by the time you traded for him. Like, he is supposed to be your left tackle of the future. Kayla, we saw what happened in that Super Bowl to the Buccaneers where the offensive line shredded or got shredded by Tampa Bay. Ugly. And they completely revamped the O-line. And Orlando Brown Jr. was sort of the face of that retooling of the offensive line. But you've seen two years now of a guy who, when playing well, looks like a really, really good left tackle. But the question you have to ask yourself is, is he worthy? Does he provide enough value to the team to make him one of the highest paid offensive linemen in the NFL? To allow him to reset the market? Because that's what he's asking. And you go back to the contract that the Chiefs offered him last year. In terms of annual value, in terms of total guaranteed, he was going to be amongst the league's highest paid players. The only guys at his position that were going to make more, Trent Williams for San Francisco, David Bakhtiari of Green Bay, and Laramie Tunsil in Houston. You know what all three of those guys have in common, though, Kayla? Is that they are elite left tackles. Not elite sometimes. They are the best at what they do. And you can't say that beyond a shadow of a doubt for Orlando Brown Jr. So, like, if I pay Chris Jones $28 million a year, I know I'm getting elite play, elite pass rushing. If I pay Patrick Mahomes $50 million a year, that may be more than any other quarterback. Guess what, though? I got Patrick Mahomes on my team. I'm okay with that. He is going to allow your team to compete for Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. Can you can someone define the value that Orlando like is Orlando Brown Jr. the difference between you winning a Super Bowl and not? I know everybody has the nightmares of the the Tampa Bay Super Bowl, but like there are other options out there. They may not be as good as Orlando Brown, but you have to sort of do the formula between how much does this player cost versus how much value am I getting from them? I may get a worse left tackle but it's going to be a fraction of the cost of what Orlando Brown Jr. costs. So if this is a guy that wants $24 million a year, if this is a guy that wants 40 to $50 million guaranteed, I don't think you do it because I don't think that's what championship teams do. It's the same reason they let Tyreek Hill walk, walk last offseason. They wanted Tyreek Hill here, but they got to a number that was uncomfortable. If that happens with Orlando Brown... And this is honestly, Kayla, and I know you feel the same way about Brett Veach. It's one thing I have a lot of trust in, like of, all, of every single aspect of doing that job. I don't think Veach is someone like we see other teams do. Like the Cowboys are notorious for this. They fall in love with a player and they just do the deal. Yep. Right? It may be a little bit more than they're willing to, that they want to pay, but ultimately they're like, no, we got to have this guy here. Let's pay him. Right? That's, that's how Ezekiel Elliott ended up with his massive contract extension. That's how Dak Prescott ended up with his massive contract. You just pay it because you want this guy there. Veach mm -hmm. won't do that. I really don't think so. Maybe maybe he'll prove me wrong because he's, he's relatively young GM, all things considered. I don't think he's going to pay a guy more than he thinks he's worth. It's exactly why he let Tyreek Hill walk last year. I agree. And to that point, I don't worry about stuff like this because I know we're in such good hands with him. And everything he does on the contract side and the money side. And it's not something that we as Chiefs fans, I don't think have to be concerned about because of how good he is at all of these things. Yeah. I mean, which remember, brings, 
sorry. I mean, they, they offered him a massive contract last year, a massive deal, and he turned it down. So it's not as though they're not willing to re-sign him to a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's just that he wants a record-setting deal, and as of right now, the Chiefs haven't been willing to give it to him. What is the point of tagging and trading? So you're saying tag for a year, trade after that year? Well, you could trade him. So you could tag him tomorrow and then trade him the next day, right? Tagging him just gives you the rights to his services for another year until this time next year. So there may be another team out there that would not like, just like how the chiefs got the massive haul for Tyree kill. Mm -hmm. You got, what was it? A first and a second. You trade for him. If you're going to give him that deal. And there may be other teams out there that are saying, yeah, we will. We will give you that money. We'll give you, $45 million guaranteed. We'll give you $24 million a year. But we're also going to have to give up some draft debt. And I don't know what he commands on the open market. Like, I don't know how much Orlando Brown Jr. is worth. And that's why these GMs are way better at this than the rest of us. Like, we can guess and speculate, but none of us really know. Like, could you get a first-round pick for Orlando Brown Jr.? Again, there's not very many good ones in the league, and he's yeah. really young. He's really young, hasn't been injured, just won a Super Bowl. Like his value's probably never been higher. But there are there are teams who will fall in love with that sort of stuff and become enamored with it. I just don't think the Chiefs are one of them. So I think you tag them. It gives you that buffer zone you have until I think it's July 15th mm -hmm. to get a long-term extension. So there won't be any hasty moves. But like if it plays out like it did with Tyreek last year, where it becomes apparent like, hey, we're not very close on a deal here then I think you do try and get as much form as you possibly can because you can't franchise tag him a third time. So if you know you're not uh, getting a long-term extension done, I think you do cut bait and see what you can get for him as opposed to just playing it out for one more year and then letting him walk in free agency and you get nothing for him. Well, speaking of our buddy, Brett, who we would love to get on the podcast. Our buddy. <laughs> our pal. He hasn't, he, hasn't, um, he hasn't shown me that he views me as a buddy as well, at least yet. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see if we can get him on the podcast in the off season, even though it's really never the off season for him. Um, anyway, the NFL combine starts next week in Indianapolis already. Can't wait. Um, Brett Veach obviously knocked it out of the park with this last year's draft. What will the areas of emphasis be for Casey in this year's draft? Do you think? Yeah, you know, I think it's sort of the same stuff that we talked about with overall, like the biggest priorities in the, in free agency. And a lot of this will come down to, okay, do you resign Juju? Do you resign Chris Jones? Do you resign Orlando Brown Jr.? But I think the, the two biggest emphasis are the exact same things you were emphasizing a year ago, wide receiver and pass rusher. Like those are the two biggest positions of need. The only thing I think that changed from last year is that it feels like you got cornerback short up pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. That is crazy to say that you did it with a first round pick, a fourth round pick and a seventh round pick. You know, Legarius needs it entering the last year of his deal. If you can get a deal done with him, I'm not sure you're targeting corner with those high value picks, but you can never have enough pass rushers and you can never have enough receivers. Knowing that even if you do resign Juju, okay, is McColl gone? Is Tony ever going to be healthy enough where you can count on him to be that guy? What is Sky Moore going to look like? 
in year two? We don't have answers mm-hmm. to any of those questions. Go out and draft another wide receiver. You look at the last three or four years, you can wait till round two and three and get guys who can contribute right away. You can build at that position with those picks. But if we're just looking at round number one, Kayla, it's pass rusher again. You took a pass rusher at the end of the first round last year. I think if you stick at 31, you're going to try and find one of those guys that falls. And it's once again, I think a really deep draft class at that position. So I think it's a lot of what you did last year. The only thing that could change is if we, we just talked about Orlando Brown Jr. If you don't re-sign him to a contract extension, maybe you do package him and that first round pick to try and move up and get one of Ooh. the elite players at that position. Like yeah. if, it, if a left tackle who you think is going to go in the top 10, all of a sudden starts falling and he's there at 11 or 12, Maybe that is where you try and make a big splashy move and go up and say, okay, well, if we're not going to sign this guy, then we're going to draft one who we think can be our left tackle of the future. Like, does that not have Brett Veach written all over it? Like, yeah, we're going to, we're not going to pay this guy. We're going to go find a cheaper guy who we think we can build around. It does always has tricks up his sleeve. He does the draft. I always say this as well as Sam Presti does the NBA draft. Well, and that's, what's so awesome about the way that you, you maneuvered the draft last year. You got so you you built for depth last year. You mm-hmm. traded Tyreek, and then you had all these draft picks. You drafted nine guys; eight of them ended up playing meaningful snaps for you. And just look at the last two games of the season: AFC Championship game and Super Bowl. Every single one of those guys made a play. Every single it's one of them. Crazy, right? Brian Cook tipping the pass that Jalen Watson intercepts. Sky Moore scoring his first touchdown in the Super Bowl. Pacheco was huge down the stretch. Huge. McDuffie, Joshua Williams making plays. George Karloftis was a starter from day one. Leo, Leo Chanel making plays in the Super Bowl. You, you nailed that draft so well that I don't think you have to go into this draft with the same mindset. You don't need nine contributors from this draft. Right now, the Chiefs have nine draft picks. Now, they'll get a couple extra from guys that left in free agency last year. You get those compensation pick. So I think they're going to end up with 11 draft picks. If you get 11 draft picks, you're not drafting 11 players. I don't even know if you're drafting nine this year. Like you can take oh. some, more, you can take some more swings that you didn't take last year because you got guys that are going to be rotational pieces. The question remains, how many of those guys that we saw last year are going to be stars? Like if I, if I, if I gave you the entire draft class, the guys who are going to be in year two next year, who is the guy you're most certain is going to be a stud, right? Not just a, not just a guy who, who plays some nice snaps, but a guy who like takes big, meaningful steps in year two and year three and becomes one of this team's best players. I'm going Pacheco, Karloftis, Duffy. Yeah, I think, you know, if you would have asked me this halfway through the season, I would have said George Karloftis would be McDuffie. my number one pick. But Pacheco, like the way he closed the season, it kind of felt like, like this is kind of weird. I almost felt like the season would have lasted another month because I feel like he just kept getting better. He and was really finding a stride. And they kept trusting him more. Mm-hmm. They started trusting him more in the passing game. 
and I'm really excited to see what Pacheco does in year two, because I know we sort of talk about running backs don't matter. And it's all about the scheme and the offense and the passing game. But Isaiah Pacheco is living proof. Like we saw what this offense looked like with Clyde as the lead back. We saw what it looked like with Pacheco as the lead. I'm, I'm super pumped for him in year two, but that's the beautiful thing. You can, you don't need to draft a running back unless you do it in round six or seven again. Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to use a first round pick on a cornerback. You can really narrow your focus. And if you want to take those big home run swings, I think you can afford to do that. Like you can afford to miss. Yeah. The draft is always going to be important, but no one's going to bat a thousand. You can afford to take some big swings this year because of how well you nailed it last season. Fully, fully agree. Will you be at the draft? I think so. I mean, it's going to be mayhem. I, I want to be down there at Union Station. I don't know exactly what the setup is going to be, but I I fully anticipate being down there in some capacity. Are you coming back for it? I want to try to. I'm going to see what I can figure out. But no, I would love to. I think you absolutely should. It's going to be a hell of a time. Be the biggest event in Kansas City history, at least until the World Cup. Really? Yeah, I mean, the, with all the parade, wasn't that? <laughs> It felt like it. There were about a million people, but think about how many people are going to fly to Kansas City just for oh, this. Oh, yeah. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. I must be a part of it. You got to. You got to come back for the parade or for the for the draft. Um. Okay. We are going to close out, but before we do, what is the off-season storyline, Nick, you're most interested in watching play out for the Chiefs? I feel like we've talked about a lot of them, but one that we haven't really discussed that, I'm, uh, that I think is going to kind of dictate a lot of other things is what, what veterans are you going to choose to retain and which ones are you going to let walk mm -hmm. when you win the Super Bowl, you have such like these, these good vibes around all these different players that you want to bring everyone back. Like you want to bring Jerick McKinnon back and you want to bring Frank Clark back and you want to bring Andrew Wiley and Juan Thornhill because you want a championship. And it feels like nobody can do any wrong at this point in time. Like, I just, I don't know they won a Super Bowl, So we got to bring them back for an, another year, but that's not realistic. You're not re-signing all of these guys. Or like in yep. the case of Frank Clark, you can cut bait and save a lot of money. Yes. You can sign some of these dudes to, to team friendly deals, but there may be somebody else who watched what they did with the chiefs and say, no, we'll pay you more because we're more desperate and we need more help than that team does. So, that to me is going to be interesting. What veterans do Veach and Reed value? Which veterans do they feel like it's worth bringing back on another deal? And which ones are they going to make those tough decisions to say, thanks for all your help, but we got to let you go. Like Frank Clark. Oh, a year, no. like, we didn't even think Frank Clark was going to be on the team last year. Comes back, has a ho-hum regular season, and then he did his thing in the postseason again. But and that's he, worth it. <laughs> he, it. It is. But how much are you willing to pay a guy that is no longer giving you full workloads in the regular season, right? He's a rotational piece. So there's there's a role for you. Are you willing to come back on a team-friendly deal? Or do you say, you know what? This is the last big contract I'm ever going to get in the NFL. So I am going to squeeze every single penny out of it as I possibly can. You know, Jarek McKinnon, they brought him in in late July. We didn't know he was going to be back in Kansas City. They bring him in. He was awesome once again. Nine receiving touchdowns this year. He's on the wrong side of 30. 
how much do you pay a guy who's giving you two really good seasons but plays a position that's really fragile? Andrew Wiley. Andrew Wiley's going to make the – he's now as valuable as he's ever been in his career. Mm -hmm. He might be able to get $7, 8000000 million on the open market. Are the Chiefs willing to pay him? If they pay Orlando Brown Jr., they probably can't afford to pay him. Juan Thornhill had a career year. We just drafted the safety last year. So there's all these interesting ones. We already talked about McCall Hardman. All of these veterans that weren't just roster fillers. I mean, they had important roles on this team. And this front office has a lot of difficult decisions to make with all of them. I hate salary caps. <laughs> okay. If you had to pick one, <laughs> you had to pick one of those veterans and I could guarantee you they're back for another season, but I can't, I can't tell you anybody else. Like uh, everybody else is up in the air. Who are you picking? Of out of who? The... So I'll give you, I'll give you the five. Okay. And I'll throw McCall in there. So I'll give you, okay. and they're, they're all in different contract situations, right? So Frank Clark, mm -hmm. Jarek McKinnon, McCall Hardman, Andrew Wiley. Did I already say Frank Clark? Yeah. Um, Juan Thornhill. That's five. Ooh. I think I'm going McKinnon. Really? I don't know. Or Frank? <laughs> I think it's Andrew Wiley. Or you said a Wiley wasn't there. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I mm, think I like he's pretty important. We need him. You no, know, it's so weird because he was like We need no. all of them. I, I can't I, make this decision. I would be a terrible GM. You'd say, come on, please, please. Can we look <laughs> room on the salary cap? Can we just go over by a little bit? Like a couple million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's tough. But I mean, this is why these are the decisions that can make or break your season. You know, the like, imagine if they would have let Jerick McKinnon walk. Imagine if they wouldn't have restructured Frank Clark's deal. Those are, those easily could have went the other way, but they didn't. Those guys played massive roles for your team. Like those, those little decisions. Like I know sometimes it's sort of corny and cliche with the NFL saying like, Oh, all 53 matter, right? All three phases. But like the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl this year are living proof of that. And all of those guys yep. came back on small deals and making big plays. Like the Chiefs don't win the Super Bowl without Andrew Wiley. Andrew Wiley was a guy who, like people were pointing their finger at halfway through the season because the pat the pass protection wasn't good enough. So they said, Well, this guy's the worst of the offensive linemen. The dude was a rock star in the Super Bowl. You don't win the Super Bowl without him. How do you separate that? from okay now we got to look forward and figure out where we can sort of save some money and make those cuts it's a, it's a it's an impossible job this sucks yeah i don't like change especially the point you made like we just want a super bowl with his team i want to do like as little breaking up as possible but this happened after the last time we won the super bowl i was like no why are we getting rid of him like we need these people we just want a super bowl with them and then we went to a super bowl the next year and then we went to a super bowl two years after that like it's going to be fine. I know that, but I don't like the change when you've got something good going. It's just hard. You keep it's the core. Yeah. I mean, you keep the core pieces intact and you have to make those difficult decisions elsewhere, but that's why I think it's really fascinating. I'm going to be really interested to see how, how it plays out over the next couple months. Last but not least, a storyline I'm interested in Travis Kelsey hosting SNL. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. March 4th, right? Mark your calendars. Mark your calendars. That won't be boring. Do you think he'll be good? Honestly, do you think he'll be good in that role? I think he honest. will knock it out of the park. Cause it's he like, says he's nervous. I don't think, does he ever get nervous? Like he was on Fallon and crushed it. 
Well, it's what it's like. It's kind of like the difference between like some people are good stand-up comedians and other people are just like naturally funny. Now you've got to act like you're playing characters. You're doing playing. that's that's a new animal. But it's uh, you. You know what? I know we're kind of having fun with it. It's such a massive opportunity for him because if he Huge. if he crushes that, the opportunities for him after his play, like look at Peyton Manning, look at all the deals that he's gotten because mm-hmm. he's killed it in these types of roles. If Kelsey I was gonna say, who, what NFL players have hosted in the past? Both the Manning brothers have. Look, it's a small list. It is. It is. Has that's, Brady that's, ever done it? I don't think so. Um, Gronk. Did Gronk to host before Gronk is that feels big. Okay. I'm looking it up right now. JJ Watt did it. Really? Uh, JJ Watt, the Manning brothers and Tom Brady. That's it. Oh, Tom has hosted. That is a, Oh wait. That's uh, an exclusive list. Joe Montana and Walter Payton did it back in the seventies. Uh, Fran Tarkenton did it in 1977. OJ Simpson, yikes. Shoot. Uh, John, I think John Madden hosts in modern era of of the NFL. It's been very few. It's been very few. So it's a, it's a big opportunity for him. I hope we get a Patrick Mahomes guest appearance. They've got to work him into one skit. But you know who I think would be better than Patrick Mahomes? Andy Reid. <gasps> if they brought out Andy Reid for a sketch, oh my gosh, that'd be so good. I would, oh my gosh, I would love that. That's my dream. <laughs> we know he can act. We've seen the State Farm commercial. I know. It's time to up the ante a little bit. <laughs> I'm trying to get um, Travis Kelsey to a Kings game because we do fight for your right to party every single game. It's like been our thing this year. And so I think he needs to come and do that. I think you're right. I think you need so to. I'm, I'm putting it out there. All right. Well, you know, you got to get Brett Beach on the show. If you get him to a Kings game, maybe get Travis Kelsey on the show. Just, you know, work the angles. <laughs> We're going to be working it for you all off season, folks. So stay tuned. Buckle up. It's going to be a fun ride. That is Nick Schwer. I am Kayla Canaram. This is It's Always Game Day in Kansas City. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to be with you on Wednesday and Friday this week, and then we'll get to like a Tuesday, Thursday schedule for the remainder of the off season. So, We will see you back here on Friday. Have a good one.